I'm Jack Semlicka, and welcome to this episode of our 2017 Strip-Till Farmer podcast series. Today's program, Strip-Till Secrets to Achieving High Yields, is being brought to you by BlueJet. If this is your first time joining us, I'd encourage you to subscribe to this podcast series, currently available in iTunes, the Google Play Store, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, and TuneIn Radio. Or if there's another app you prefer for listening to podcasts, let us know. We'll make every effort to get it listed here as well. And by subscribing, that will allow you to get an alert when upcoming episodes in this series are released, and also an opportunity to go back and listen to episodes in our 2016 series. Thanks again to BlueJet for sponsoring today's episode. For more than four decades, BlueJet has been an innovator in fertilizer injection and conservation tillage equipment. Over that time, large acre farmers have found BlueJet to be synonymous with durability, low maintenance, and return on investment. A founding title sponsor of the National Strip Tillage Conference, BlueJet's Strip Tracker was the first strip till implement to combine onboard fertilizer carrying capacities with a stretched and staggered row unit. Visit www.blu-jet.com or call them today at 800-658-3127. And a quick reminder to mark your calendar to attend the 4th Annual National Strip Tillage Conference coming up on August 3rd and 4th in Omaha, Nebraska. Look for more information and updates coming soon on the conference homepage at www.striptillconference.com. When I ask farmers to explain their motivation for transitioning to strip-till, many see the practice as a pathway to higher yields. While not every farmer sees an immediate bin-busting return after the change, those who adapt and evolve their entire system often achieve gradual yield growth and consistency. Count Stockton, Iowa farmer Keith Schlapkohl among those who have embraced a systematic approach to strip-till. From an intricate planter setup for precise seed placement in corn on corn to understanding the nutrient needs of strip-tilled soybeans, his comprehensive strategy is helping him close in on lofty yield goals. In today's Strip-Till Farmer podcast brought to you by BlueJet, we welcome Keith to share his time-tested tips for turning 300 bushel corn and 100 bushel soybeans from a dream to a reality. First thing I'm going to tell you is five years ago, I did not strip till. I was drug kind of kicking and screaming to the ETS booth at the Iowa Power Show in Des Moines. I was looking for a planter cart. I put three fertilizers on with my corn planter, and I'm doing it with a tow behind dry cart. I've got tanks on the planter, I've got tanks on the tractor. When I saw this ETS cart, the light bulb went off. That can be my planter cart. I still don't have the planter, but I am a proud owner of a soil warrior. <laughs> and uh, because of walking the farm of Mark Bauer, who is the founder of ETS, and, and ETS is Environmental Tillage Systems. And that is what I will preach at you today is it's a systems approach. 
it's not cherry picking an idea from one spot and saying that's the magic bullet. There are no magic bullets. It's those things that you, little things that we do that one plus one is no longer two. And then you start adding those up and throwing that into the system and adding it all up. And that 300 bushel corn, have I averaged that across the farm yet? No. I've seen probably 30 to 40% of my yield monitor maps at that level. Right now, well, here's, here's an ironic part of it. The PF3000 goes to 298. So I thought, well, okay, I don't run the combine that much. My dad does most of the combine, and I just haul corn and beans. He, we finally got a ag leader, uh, Integra, in, in a different combine. And dad's comment was, man, these corn yields are a lot better than they ever were with the, with the deer combine. And uh, he says, it's, it's running over 300 a lot of the time. So having understanding what your limitations of the technology that you're using also helps to understand you know, what you're actually getting. Like I said, systems approach. Probably the biggest thing is you can't continue to do the same thing year after year. You can add some things, but you also have to realize that something can be thrown away. Reallocation of resources. The, the plan that I put together doesn't cost me any more than the guy that goes to the co-op, puts the anhydrous down, buys the biotech seed, flies the fungicide on, and harvests the crop. I will go across my crop five or six times, but each one of those passes will be paid, it's paid for, it's allotted, but I take money from someplace in the program that I had been doing and reallocate my resources so that when, at the end I don't spend any more money. CSP program. I want to thank every one of you that pays taxes, that's sitting in this room. You paid for my soil warrior. I got into the CSP program and that was one of the enhancements that I had to do was strip till. And on 900 acres of, 924 acres of row crop, with what I had been doing, plus my enhancements, I maxed the program out. That $40,000 payment from the government makes the payment on my strip till bar. So I want to say thank you. Part of my systems approach is reduced pesticides. I use reverse osmosis water in all my sprays, all my foliars. I structure that water. Water under an electron microscope, if you do nothing to it, is a blob. Yamoto is a Japanese scientist that discovered this post-World War II or right during World War II, that by taking water and putting it in front of a speaker and, and playing hard rock, that water will be a blob under an under a electron microscope. You take that same beaker, 
changed the music to Bach or Beethoven. A couple hours later, you look at that same water under an electron microscope, it'll look like a snowflake. A water that looks like a snowflake penetrates the plant a lot better. It carries more material. If you try and put sugar into water, simply by reusing reverse osmosis water, you can go from six pounds of sugar to eight pounds of sugar per gallon of water. You structure that water and you can go to 10, even 11, maybe even 12 gallons or pounds of sugar per gallon of water. There's so much more holding capacity of that water when you do something with it other than just pump it out of the ground and use it. Four ounces of the insecticide is all I use for rootworm beetle control, way below labeled rates. Herbicides, two quarts of Lexar, half a pound of atrazine, my complete corn program for weed control. Soybeans a little bit different. Non-GMO beans, we, we do a burn down with residual. I use a full rate of a dual cinch, but then I use reduced rates of Sencor, half rate of Sencor and a half rate of, of Sonic. Literally perfect weed control this year. I, I'm not spraying beans for broadleaves. Grass, I am coming back and, and touching that up. But simply by doing something different with water, I'm able to reduce my herbicide, insecticide rates. Reducing the nitrogen. This quest came, started 20 years ago. A lot of livestock around. I learned that over-application of nitrogen is just as detrimental as under-application. How did I figure this out? 77 acre field. Point Rose, it's creek bottom. Well, that corner way down there in the back and the snowdrifts got deep, about a third of an acre didn't get covered with manure. Guess what third of an acre was standing that next summer after a windstorm that, that did not get the manure. Over application of nitrogen promotes diseases, stalk rots. So by timing and placement of nitrogens, whether it be a, a nitrate form of nitrogen to vegetatively grow the plant and grow roots, or ammonial forms to promote reproduction, this is all part of the systems approach that I'm trying to use. The timing and placement. Did you realize that you could grow a stalk of corn 40 foot tall and never put an ear on if you used only nitrate nitrogen? Never set an ear. S soybeans, when they start flowering, if you start pushing ammonial nitrogen at them, instead of having nodes that are three inches long, you can shrink a node to three quarters of an inch or, or even half an inch. We don't need to have six foot tall beans, 36 inch tall beans 
is all we need. And you can push a lot of nitrogen at them if you use the right form. Non-GMO corn and beans, part of the reallocation of resources. I really don't like paying the tech fees. They're not working. And another thing is, I've got three members of my family that have food issues. Once they got off of genetically modified foods, wheat gluten, they're close to being normal. They're not there yet, but that was the thing, the trigger, that caused them to have the, the food issues, the gut issues. My oldest daughter, who worked for Jerry Hatfield at the soil tills lab at Iowa State for three years, genetics and microbiology double major, kind of helped to put two and two together on the genetics side, understanding genetics and that everybody's not created equal. Some people will show these problems, others won't. She actually did, did some work while she was at Iowa State as, and she got published doing the study with, you know, explaining on the genetic side how this can affect only some people in the family and other people it doesn't. So that's two reasons why I've got the non-GMO corn and beans up there. It's about the money and it's also about the health of my family members. Air water management. If you don't have oxygen in the soil, manage that water table, you can't grow a good crop. The product that I use, it's actually a, a combination of gypsum and lime. I've dug up some research that was published in California that shows that literally if you put gypsum on a field by itself or lime on the field by itself, both of them are beneficial. It's one of these one plus one things I'm going to tell you about. If you throw the two of them together, it's like throwing gasoline on a fire versus diesel fuel. You get a lot bigger reaction, bigger response. So did I know this when I started spreading this product? No, I'm a slow learner. I was looking for poor man's concrete. This stuff gets hard when it gets wet. Works great in a feedlot to put on cattle mounds. Well, college roommate told me, well, you might want to try spreading that on the farm. It's got sulfur in it, it's got calcium in it. So I did. 500 pounds per acre. I didn't kill the crop, so I tried 1,000 pounds the next year. Guess what? Combine and beans. We couldn't figure out why we kept pushing dirt. Looked over the fence at my cousin. He's combining away, the dust is flying, and he's not even leaving a, a, a imprint of the tire lug in the ground. It's so hard. My side of the fence, we're sinking in three or four inches and had to relearn how to set the combine, pick the header up so there's a lot less pressure down because all we wanted to do was push loose dirt. Two years of applying this gypsum-lime combination changed the soil that much. 
and I've got 18 years continuous now. First 14 years was a ton per acre. The pH of my soils were going over seven, so we've cut back to 1,000 pounds. And I still haven't figured out how much is too much. It keeps getting better and better. I think this is pretty much self-explanatory. We've heard a lot about it, biology. Tillage degrades the soil, less biology. Heavy use of sides, same thing. One of the things I learned in the last two years, I'm gonna pick on glyphosate a little bit, it, is, it has a patent as an antibiotic. Why are we putting an antibiotic on our fields and killing soil life? It kills the beneficial microbes. It lets the bad boys, the fusariums and pseudomonas, explode. Just one of the things that I learned. Mention the uh, RO water, personova water, structured water. Let's me use a lot less of my inputs. If you can cut your herbicide bill in half, what does that save you? How much more money can you spend on fertility to feed that plant right? We're using live bugs, actual bacterium, to try and repopulate the soil. Yes, I, I use sides but I also come back in the spring of the year in the planter trench and put what I think is a cocktail of good bugs in that trench to try and repopulate the soil. We're also playing with azotobacter, nitrogen-fixing bacteria that you spray on the leaf of corn and soybeans and should last three to four weeks, 60 to 100 pounds of nitrogen produced, if you have the right growing conditions. What I'm trying to do with the experiments that I'm running this summer is I've got foliar end put on in places, and then I'm also using the azotobacter. I'm using a spad meter to basically measure the color. It's, it measures the color of the leaf. It's very similar to the technology that we're is being used to variable rate nitrogen. I walk fields daily, clipping that spad meter on, seeing where I'm at. And at this point, I'm a full 10 points higher on the, the same variety using the azotobacter versus foliar feeding the plant the way I have the last four years. So it's, a, it's a, another project that I'm working with, you know, working on, looking at that let's grow our own nitrogen instead of buying it. Cost effective. Another thing that has happened to me in the last 10 years, soil doctor. Is anybody in here, raise your hand if you've ever heard of the soil doctor. 
Okay, I've run it. Still, I've got a unit that still works. But because I quit dribbling my nitrogen, I've gone to foliar applications three or four times. I'm not using that anymore. But because of using that soil doctor, I was always questioning whether it was right. So I've been, I was one of the first people to, to buy the kit from Fred Blackmer when he came out with the late spring nitrate testing kit. He, was, he probably didn't really appreciate me because I had a lot of phone calls and called him some names and, and told him it wasn't working. But uh, because of doing a late spring nitrate test, double checking that soil doctor, I pull late spring nitrate tests across all of my corn and soybean fields. And in the last 10 years, I went from seeing nitrogen levels of 30 to 80 units available in the top two foot to now I see 180 to 330 pounds of nitrogen available. And I've, I've, I've only got 80 units of nitrogen put on with a corn planter. Corn on corn, 80 units of N put on with a corn planter, and last year my best late spring nitrate test was 330 pounds of N. Is inoculating my soil with nitrogen-fixing bacteria working? I think it is. How else can I have those levels of nitrogen in the soil without applying them? Testing. Kind of got ahead of myself, but tissue test. Ed Winkle, good friend, met through no-till. Uh, Paul Reed, I don't know if that name's familiar to anybody sitting in the room, but uh, met Ed Winkle. <clears throat> he taught me a lot about the uh, tissue test, basically of a scorecard, pass-fail. If you don't have adequate micronutrients, plant's not gonna function well, so let's address that. Been doing that now for five years with foliars. Because of what I'm doing, I know that I'm gonna go across the crop with a, with a ground rake or an airplane three to five times. I do not preload my inputs. It's kinda of like raising livestock, hogs, cattle. Do we take a bushel basket of corn and soybean meal? and as a little pig, dump it over the fence and say, figure it out? No. We've got different rations at different time, and when we see a problem, we fix it. I'm treating, I used to raise a lot of livestock. I'm treating my plants in the field as I treated the livestock that I had in the, in the yards and the barns. Daily, look at it, assess it figure out, is there a problem? If there is a problem, you know that in a week or less, you're gonna be making a pass with that sprayer or with that airplane to feed the crop because he didn't put all of the nutrition on in the beginning. And if there is a problem, let's address it. Stock nitrates, because I'm in the CSP program, I, I do do the tissue testing. I do the late spring nitrate test. That's all part of the enhancements or what I was doing. 
stock nitrates. 100 pounds of nitrogen, corn on corn. 80 units with the, with the planter, 20 units foliar. These are the levels, 750 to 3,000 parts per million. 750 is excessive. I very successfully killed four cattle last summer when I started green chopping corn and not mixing corn stalks with it because I got in a hurry, got lazy. And uh, yeah, three feedlot cattle and one cow, feet sticking in the air. Figured out what it was, did the stock nitrate test because of what I've got to do for the CSP program. I'm still using too much nitrogen. So this year, as I'm foliar feeding the crop, I've cut that foliar nitrogen in half. Instead of using two gallons of the 21% foliar nitrogen, I've cut it to one gallon. The SPAD meter, which is my eyes in the field, is telling me that I'm as good or better readings than I've been doing the last three years. Okay, now I'm also using the, the azotobacter. We've got very beneficial temperatures and moisture that make that bacterium grow. Hot and dry, it's, it's gonna struggle. So now I've got another bullet in the arsenal that I can use instead of a manufactured product. You can buy the azotobacter. I'm the product that I'm playing with is actually in a micronutrient mix. But you cannot put a side or nitrogen with the bugs, with the bacterium, because it'll kill it. So it means one, you know, means a special trip. And I don't, that part I didn't like, because I, I love to throw everything into the foliar. I, you know, the kitchen sink fits, you put it in. Fertility, it's more of, about <clears throat> timing and placement, not the quantity. I've studied Herman Warsaw. Never went to his farm, but I called him. I was just out of college when he started winning the yield contests. Francis Childs, I was on his farm a couple times. College roommate of mine farms about seven miles from the Manchester farm where Francis raised the 400 bushel corn. Well, I was curious. In his presentations, he, he gave his soil test results. Well, being the doubter that I am, I, I called up my college roommate and says, hey, when you're coming home, coming home from the bar some night, you want to make a side trip? So he did. So I've got a soil test off of Francis's farm. I got better dirt than he's got. But can I raise 400 bushel corn in, in an acre and a half? No. It's timing and placement, doing the little things right. Having the right elements there at the right time. Kip Culler. I was one of four people that went down to visit him. I, I was supposed to have 45 minutes with the group. Well, five and a half hours later, we were leaving, and I had a bag of dirt in my hand off of Kip's test plot down there in Missouri. He wanted to see 
what a Morgan soil test looked like, or Lamont, versus the CEC that he was used to seeing. So we took the soil sample, ran the test. I agreed never to tell anybody what it was, but I'll tell you the same thing I told you about Francis. I got better dirt than Kip, if you look at the soil test. Can I raise 165 bushel beans at this point in time? No. I've seen 150 on the yield monitor. He has a better climate, more growing degree days. I'm doing a lot of things that I learned that day from Kip. I'm using calcium nitrate. I'm using ammonium nitrate. I'm using potassium thiosulfate. I'm using thiosol. For every bushel of beans that you want to get, you need six pounds of nitrogen. How many pounds of nitrogen can you fix with nodules? Probably about half of, if you're, if you're trying to get 100 bushel beans, that's 600 pounds of N. Nodulation will probably do half of that. Soil applied, or soil nitrogen, organic matter, mineralization, you can get up 8% soils, you can get 240 pounds of N if you have healthy soil, if you have bacterium that are there that are mineralizing, working for you. It doesn't happen, but if you, if you keep using heavy high levels of sides, killing this beneficial life we have in our soils, we don't see that kind of mineralization. So it's, you know, it's a, it's a balancing act. Yes, we've got to control weeds, we've got to control insects, but at the same time, if you can learn how to use less of them, still get control, it's just like a herbicide. You put a herbicide on a plant, it, it's got a safener in it. It's still use, it's like a three-day drunk. That plant has to metabolize it. It's not feeling good. Okay, if you only drink three cans of beer instead of a case, how, how much quicker are you gonna get over that drunk? I don't know if the analogies make any sense, but to me, they do. Dave Hula, I'm scheduled to go with a group of growers from just south of Iowa City next July. We've talked to him, we've uh, listened to him speak. You know, we've made the, made the point of saying, we wanna go look at the farm, we wanna get on the farm and, and talk to you. So sometime next July, there's about five of us that are gonna fly out and, and visit with Dave Hula. Will we bring anything back that we can use in our own operation? Economically? Probably. Economics is where I draw the line. We've got to have a budget. We, you know, I love what these guys are doing, but the amount of chicken litter that's used, the amount of calcium nitrate that Kip used on his beans. You ever seen a bean plant that's beside the size of a quarter and a 50 cent piece between that stands six foot tall. The bottom two foot has nothing on it. 
yeah, I saw it. Scratched my head, saying, wow, how'd you do it? A soybean that looks like a tree. A lot of calcium nitrate. Nitrate, nitrogen, you get vegetative growth and root growth. He used a lot of it. Yield monitor. Picked that up, working with another fertility company. So what did I do for five years? Had two buckets hanging on the combine. Dad, when that yield monitor hits 300, go back about 75 foot, pull a soil test. When it's falling out of bed, and it's only 100 bushel corn, and you think that you know it's not a it's not a drainage issue, it's not compaction. Take us, get out of the combine, probe it, throw it in the bucket. So we did that for for five years. What I learned from those soil tests, not only running a Midwest test, what I call a CEC test, but also a Morgan or Lamont test. It is more about biology in the soil, mineralizing, making our elements available to the plant than it is the levels. Old night pastures that were dairy cows. You could always see a line on one farm that the corn would stay green longer, you know, it was a neighbor's farm that we bought in 1978. Dairy cows on that first 20 rods, right along the road, then a, then a lane back to the back end of the farm to Crick Pasture. Well, that difference on a CEC test, Midwest CEC test, you could pull it on either side of that line. Very, very similar. P and K levels, micronutrient levels. Ran that. Morgan or Lamont test, which is looking at the biologically available levels, huge difference. Where we had the night pasture, the manure, whatever, and this is 20 years ago, 30 years ago that this pasture was there, huge difference in that soil test. That's when I started realizing that it's more about biology than it is the levels of fertility that we've got in the soil. And what do we do every day? We go out there for sides, with our sides. Some way, shape, or form. They may not be a bactericide, but do you, you think that an insecticide stops at killing just an insect? It's gonna be detrimental to the bacterium, a little bit. But using that yield monitor and pulling soil tests where you went over that 300. And then 100 feet away, you're down to 100 bushels. You, you stand there and you look and go, why? Pull that soil test. Do the soil test that looks at biologic, at, you know, what's biologically available. It's not cheap. You don't want to do the whole farm. Part of your toolbox. The strip-till became one of those tools. Timing and placement of nutrition. This year on soybeans, because of what I've learned from Kip, 
from my crop scout that is out here banging her head against the walls trying to figure out how to how to grow that 300 bushel corn and 100 bushel beans i'm keeping potassium out of the strip on soybeans high levels of potassium early on a soybean is actually detrimental so we're side dressing right at bloom with potassium thiosulfate and, and thiosol, sulfur, high levels of sulfur. I've already got, I put 1,000 pounds of gypsum on. I've already got uh, 120 pounds of sulfur. Well, I'm putting another 120 pounds plus of sulfur on right at bloom on the beans. I'm using a dribbler to put it under the canopy. You get two or three tenths of rain and, and the, the bean plant's got it. Because I do put three fertilizers on with the planter and having the strip till, I've got multiple places that I can put this fertility, timing and placement. I can't put ammonium nitrate and calcium nitrate in the strip on beans. Salt content is gonna kill the germination. But by taking my planter, that has colders on each side of the row, I put my phosphorus right, in, right in, in the bean or right under the bean. I put some starter right under the seed to get it going. And then I put the calcium nitrate and ammonium nitrate on each side. Without these tools of the strip till and my U-trough planter, I can't do the timing and placement as I think I need. Side dressing. Ten years ago, I built a toolbar that nobody else was building yet because I wanted it. Took a flat fold rear mount cultivator and uh, put standards on it, put colders on it. I ran that for five years, dribbling, putting nitrogen in the middle of the row on my corn until I ran into a drought. I put all that nitrogen in dry dirt. Never got a rain. I knew it wasn't in moist dirt because I'd go out there and grab the dirt, put it up to my nose, and I about knocked myself out. It's like putting your nose up against an ammonia knife. So I panicked. I put four gallons of 21% nitrogen on foliar because I knew that that plant was not gonna get that nitrogen in that dry dirt. Beat the county average by over 100 bushels that year in a drought. So the, that was the learning stages for me of reallocating resources. Instead of preloading everything up front, let's keep feeding that crop, looking at its health. What can we do to make it right every day? We'll get right back to Keith's discussion shortly, but I want to once again thank our sponsor, Blue Jet, for making this program possible. For more than four decades, Blue Jet has been an innovator in fertilizer injection and conservation tillage equipment. 
Over that time, large acre farmers have found BlueJet to be synonymous with durability, low maintenance, and return on investment. A founding title sponsor of the National Strip Tillage Conference, BlueJet's Strip Tracker was the first strip till implement to combine onboard fertilizer carrying capacities with a stretched and staggered row unit. Visit www.blu-jet.com or call them today at 800-658-3127. Reflecting on Keith's comments thus far, he noted right off that there are no magic bullets with a strip-till system, and success is rooted in a system's approach. While he's seen 30 to 40% of his acres touch 300 bushel corn, Keith admits that reaching those levels is a product of innovation. Experimentation with lime and gypsum to supplement his nutrient program, reverse osmosis to limit input usage, and an application of a cocktail of bugs to enhance microbial life have all been contributing factors to increasing yields. A willingness to experiment and find cost-effective avenues to economically increase production are benchmarks of a successful strip-till system. Let's jump back into the program now and hear more from Keith Schlapkohl on how he matches his equipment setups with his soil types and conditions. Gypsum, or the power line as we've trademarked it. Air water management. Long-term gypsum application, if you've got a clay subsoil, depending on what clay it is, 50 to 100% more water holding capacity. If you can hold 100% more water than your neighbor simply by putting gypsum on, what does that do in a dry year? You watch the neighbor's crop wilt. Past two years, I dig a root pit. We've been in a drought. Five and a half foot down, blue clay, I squeeze it in my hand and it's like toothpaste. I dug a root pit in a permanent pasture. Never had gypsum on it, bluegrass pasture. It's dry all the way down. How much root mass does bluegrass have? About eight inches. That's all the further down that that bluegrass, eight to 10 inches, 12 inches, will draw the moisture out. In that corn crop, I had mud at five and a half foot. It had 20 years of gypsum pasture. I had never put it on. <clears throat> Wet spots disappeared. We put too much tile in. Water holding capacity, if it doesn't, if it can hold twice as much water, will that wet spot show up as fast? No. Soil Warrior, that's the back view of it. This unit was built to be a planter cart and a strip till unit. Because in, in the beginning, I was going to put a fall strip in, set the strip till bar off, hook up to my planter and plant with the soil warrior cart in the spring. The back tank on this is watertight. 
It's got, a, it's got a boot on it that you can unbolt, drop the jaws off for fertilizer, bolt a sump on, and now I've got a liquid tank. A little bit side view of it. The saddle tanks were supposed to be my starter tanks. The front compartment, there's actually three compartments on the soil wire, was, was supposed to be my seed tank or cover crop in the fall. Well, since I'm not using it as a, in the fall anymore, it's, I'm 100% spring strip, because I've learned that I don't, I don't need to do the fall strip. That third tank is going to become my micronutrient tank. We're starting to look at variable rate and micronutrients it's not just looking at P and K, but also our micronutrients. I am a guinea pig for Soil Warrior. This is a beta test, what they call beta test machine. The units that they've got out in the, in the parking lot do not have, they've got a, a, a twin calder, but this is actually a mini, what they call a mini, small airbags. It'll six inches deep is all it would go. But because of my long-term gypsum use, my tillage has been done with gypsum. Gypsum is chemical tillage. I hate saying it that way, but one of my old college roommates is a consultant in central Iowa, has a pentrometer that actually records digitally the PSI. In, 19, in 2005, we dug a root pit that he came to with his pentrometer. He went all the way around this root pit. He thought his pentrometer was broke. 155 PSI, it was the highest. At four inches, it, it went to 155. And at 20 inches, it was still at 155. And he, his comment to me was, how do you get across the field? Because he had been telling all of his clients that you had to have 300 PSI. Once you went, you know, if you got below 300, you were going to, it's just mush. It was not going to hold the weight of the machine. You'd leave tracks. And I said, no problem. I don't leave any tracks. Well, when you've got aggregated soil, it's like driving a loaded truck across clean two-inch gravel versus sand. Do you leave a track in clean two-inch gravel? No. You drive across sand, you sink in and pack it. That's the difference between gypsum applied soil and not doing anything. So when it, when it rains, C, D, and E slope hills, that I've, I've got 80 acres of that. I can go out, go out after a two-inch rain three or four hours later Nothing sticks to the combine tires running across the hillside. I'm not slipping and sliding, but I do run all the combines on top of the row. Why? Why would I want to run a combine tire where I'm going to plant next year? Plus, that root mass, plus that corn stalk, when you lay it down, we run stalk stompers, becomes that mat that carries the weight of the combine so you don't compact the soil. I run 60-inch wide tires 
on the combines on the front. The rolling basket added that two years ago. That's one of the things I'm never going to look back. That twin colder, first two years I ran this machine, it had one colder. Became the guinea pig for them and put the twin on without the basket. A lot more tillage with that second colder. By having it offset, I think they're five inches apart, eight inches offset, you've got tillage that goes on in between that colder. Plus, when it throws it up into the containments, it rolls it, mixes your fertilizer in, so you've got a homogeneous blend of dirt and fertilizer. You don't have any hot spots. But by adding, even in 2012, 13, last year, 13, we were running in mud. Literally, we had to pull the machine up, run to the top of the hill because we, it was, we were spinning out with a track tractor on mud and stripped down the hill to get a strip put in. That basket never plugged up. But my soil is aggregated. It crumbles. It falls apart. Have any of you ever fixed a tile line five and a half foot in the ground? Red clay or, or yellow clay. You roll the bucket out on the hoe and the dirt crumbles. It doesn't, you don't have to shake the bucket to get it to fall out. It just falls out. When it hits the ground, it falls apart. It's like coarse coffee grounds. That's five and a half foot in the ground. Seven pH. Soil tests that we pull out of the root pit. I've got P1 levels of 65. 30 inches down in yellow clay. So when you've got roots in moisture, in a drought, they're still getting fertility 30 inches down. Row cleaner. There's actually a little air cylinder. You can't see it on there. We run 70 pounds of air pressure down corn on corn. We do turbo till to size the stalks so that that row cleaner can push them out of the way. Three inch wide treader band, that is a Martin row cleaner. The three inch wide treader band versus an inch and a half, the inch and a half at six mile an hour, it's a big rooster tail. You go to the three inch wide, pushes down and just pushes it out. Very, very little throwing cost a lot more for that three inch versus the inch and a half, but played around with it. If we do any fall strips, that comes, that row cleaner comes off, and the one that's out here on, on the unit without a treader is, is what we use. It's more aggressive, the dirt's hard. If we do custom work, we put a completely different set of row cleaners on. One row cleaner is not good for all seasons, all, all soils. I took the uh, precision planning clean sweep control. Boy, they, they love the, they, you, pay, you spend a lot of money for that control, 700 bucks for that little green box with that lever on it. But that's what I control these road cleaners with. 
and the end of the field. It, we've got auto steer now, RTK, got to do something. So you figure out if you need that, all that pressure down, especially when we're running in the spring of the year, you, you know, tougher gumbos, the harder you push down on that, those little spikes sticking out will actually do tillage for you an inch deep if you get them stuck into the ground. And that inch of tillage makes a big difference on what the final product looks that comes out of the ass end of that machine. This is just a quick side view of the, what, what I've done with the planter. Two colders per row. The green ones, the, the deer, it's a, it's a 1985 twin line Kinsey planter. I just keep rebuilding it. It's on its third row, set of row units. A lot, of, a lot of bushings, a lot of bearings. But the deer colders are liquid. The, the old Kinsey single disc are the dry. I'm putting ammonium nitrate, product called CAN27. It's calcium and ammonium nitrate, homogeneous blend. Flows real good. 150 pounds of that goes on the corn, 75 pounds on the beans. The green one is uh, 32 in calcium nitrate on corn, calcium nitrate on beans. The small tanks that you're seeing are starter, which goes under the seed, both corn and beans. Five gallons of, of starter on corn, a gallon on beans. Got to be very, very careful with starter on beans because you can knock the germination out of the bean real easy. This is a close-up of what the berm looks like after, this, after the soil warrior and with my own base. I, I played with RTK for three years before I finally figured it out. I was doing custom work, had cell phone coverage, big disaster in Iowa. Iowa DOT does not maintain their cell towers or whatever very well. When they have a problem, they're not worried about fixing it. So 30% of the time I didn't have signal, plus when it was working, I couldn't stay on the strip. I'd be running right down the middle of it. Talk to Mark Bauer, founder of ETS. Well, in one of my farm visits, he took me to the corner of the machine shed and I saw a $200,000 pile of GPS equipment that didn't work and he couldn't get his money back. So I listened to him. What he told me worked for him, also worked for me. I got my own base. We're not spread out very far. And guess what I learned when I got opened the owner's manual? I actually read the owner's manual. Second page, second paragraph, Ag Leader Owner's Manual, if you buy the base, says that if you're more than six miles from your base, you no longer have sub-inch accuracy. So what do I do? I pick up the phone, I call my Ag Leader dealer and say, you know, when I was on that cell phone coverage, where's my nearest base? He said, let me think. About 10 seconds later, he says, uh, 18 miles. Okay, that explains why I couldn't, even when I had signal, I couldn't stay on the strip. 
The other thing that we learned real quick, you gotta match your strip till to your planner. 24 row strip till, 12 row planner, 12 row, 12 row, 16 row, 16 row. Because even with RTK, until we can steer the tractor and the planter and the strip till, when you pull up a hill versus pulling down a hill, even with RTK, <clears throat> I can still plant better by the seat of my ass, the feel, than that RTK can. My pinch rows with RTK on hillsides, when you know, you're kind of pulling up the hill, one way and then coming down. I got 15 inch rows with RTK. Did I have 15 inch rows when I was planting with a marker? No, because I learned by feel that I had to push over. So we're not there yet on the RTK, but because if you run the same direction, and this is where my key employee runs the strip till bar, and we're on the phone constantly, which direction did you start this field? We go around three, every, every field that we start, every farm, three laps all the way around, same direction. When you come into the, we've got a lot of crick bottom, a lot of cricks, so you got a lot of curves. If you keep coming at that curve from the same direction, that right there is what you see. It stays, that is a containment groove from the strip till, that planter stays right there. If you come against that, it's off. It'll be off by 20 inches, 30 inches. So when you do, even with RDK, you've got to go the same direction as you stripped. Then the strip till, fall versus spring, started out four years ago. Thought that I had to do a fall strip. I was listening to Mark Bauer because he was doing this Fairbolt, Minnesota. That's pretty close to the Arctic Circle. Corn on corn, strip tilling, raising real good corn. So I thought, okay, I'm doing corn on corn. I gotta do a fall strip. Well, I learned that I don't need a fall strip. So now I'm down to one pass in the spring. Well, if I was gonna do that fall strip, you can't push two colders into the ground, it's hard. You're lucky to get one colder pushed into the ground. By, by realizing that I didn't need that fall strip, being the guinea pig for the twin mini, two years later, I'm not looking back. Twin mini, I, and they, their recommendation to me, ETS, was you're gonna have to have heavier duty airbags in those rows where the traffic is. I'm not seeing that. I'm able, I'm able to run the same airbag all the way across. Another benefit of gypsum, doing tillage chemically every year with 1,000 pounds of gypsum. So I've evolved from a two pass, one colder, to one pass, two colders in four years. Less time in the tractor, money that I'm not spending going across the field twice, reallocation of resources again.
Thank you, Keith, for taking a deep dive in the methods and modifications made within your strip-till system to boost production. Again, we'd like to recognize and thank our sponsor, BlueJet, for helping make this Strip-Till Farmer podcast series possible. And I certainly welcome your feedback on today's program. So feel free to drop me an email at jzemlicka at lessetermedia.com or give me a call at 262-777-2441. And if you haven't done so already, you can subscribe to this podcast series on iTunes or the Google Play Store to get an alert when upcoming episodes are released. And you can also keep up on the latest strip-till practices impacting your farm today by registering online at striptillfarmer.com for our free Strip-Till Strategies e-newsletter. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at Strip-Till, F-A-R-M-R, and on our Strip-Till Farmer Facebook page. And finally, another invitation to come out and attend the 4th Annual National Strip-Tillage Conference, which will be held August 3rd and 4th in Omaha, Nebraska. Again, look for more information and updates coming soon on the conference homepage at www.striptillconference.com. Well, I hope that you'll join us again on February 16th for the next episode in our 2017 podcast series, Letting the Four R's of Nutrient Management Guide Your Strip-Till System, where Ohio farmer David Meyerholtz will share why cover crops, split nitrogen applications, and variable rate fertilizing are cornerstones of a complete strip-till system. For Keith Schlapko, Blue Jet, and our entire staff here with Strip-Till Farmer, I'm Jack Zemlicka. Thanks for listening. <laughs>